0: All right, let's go. Today is December 18th. It is officially uh, one week until Christmas. If you have not started your shopping, I suggest you hop on Amazon and order all the things. Uh, Next week is Christmas. Next Friday, actually. Just a quick show note. Um, No show next week. It will be Christmas. My wife will probably kill me if I try to do a podcast on Christmas. And next week, I... (laughs) Microsoft's not gonna put anything major out next week. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But this is the SAMS report, and despite the fact that we are into the second and third week of Christmas, or of Christmas, of December, Microsoft actually has thrown us a lot of bones this time of the year, um, more so than anticipated. And again, I keep saying this week after week, but really Microsoft, you're doing a hell of a job for the month of December. If you go back a couple years, I've been, I've been writing about Microsoft for many years, December has kind of just been the the casual month, but not anymore. Um, I don't know if it's their new cadence. I don't know what all is going on. But they are not afraid to push the buttons. They are not afraid to get dirty. And they are, um, you know, delivering a lot of good stuff. So let's just jump in here. I want to hit on something that actually came out, uh, what I like to refer to as the end of the day news dump. Last Friday, Microsoft issued a Surface Book Pro 4 apology. Now, they didn't come out and give us hugs and say, hey, I'm sorry, but what they did do is apologize for the issues that the early adopters have experienced, primarily this sleep bug, um, the Intel driver crashing, and all the other junk that has been going on. So Microsoft is finally coming forward and saying, hey, yep, it's not perfect. So there you go. Obviously, saying I'm sorry is not as good as issuing a firmware fix, and they still have not given an actual date for when the sleep bug will be fixed, but here we are. They are finally at least acknowledging the fact that, hey, this could have gone a little bit better. This isn't how they anticipated. So take it for what you will. Microsoft has come clean and said, all right, we're aware of the issues, and we can't hide behind these uh, updates any longer. And speaking of things that are not being updated, if you own a Windows Phone 8 device and you have been waiting for Windows 10 Mobile. um, Microsoft initially had said, I believe it was back in October because Paul and I were both in New York at the event, they said on Facebook through one of their channels that they would be pushing the update out in December. And most people kind of took that to mean middle of December, um, typically how Microsoft delivers things. And so here we are, middle of December, and no update for Windows Phone 8 users. So I pinged Microsoft, I think actually a bunch of people have been pinging Microsoft ever since that Facebook update went out. Said, hey, middle of December, where's the update? Microsoft came back and said, uh, not so cl- not not so much December anymore. Um, they're now saying early, January 2016, and they still have not given a full list of devices or an initial rollout strategy. I'm hoping that they will actually come forward and say, hey, these are the devices, this is the date it's rolling out, here's how you're gonna get it. So a couple of thoughts on this. One, the delay sucks, but does it really suck? Um, So I've kinda got two trains of thoughts on this. The first being the bad, hey, Microsoft didn't deliver on what was previously announced information, that's bad. The other thought here is, If you're listening to this podcast, if you're reading Therat or you're reading Petri, you already know how to get Windows 10 mobile. You've already got in the Insider program, you're already running the builds. The last couple builds have been quite stable. So those users really aren't impacted. They already know how to get it. And then you have the complete opposite end of the spectrum where you have individuals who just don't really care they don't really care what os their phone is running they they're the windows xp crowd as i like to categorize them they just want something that works they don't care if it's the latest and greatest their text messages go through where they can get on edge they can browse their content and do everything and they don't really care about windows 10 mobile so this delay they didn't even probably know that it was coming you know supposedly coming in mid-december anyways so is this really that big of a deal? And I'm not trying to like apologize for what Microsoft is doing here. I'm just trying to bring the reality of the situation. Windows Phone is primarily made up of hardcore um, Windows fans. We know that by the market share. It's not a massive adopted product like Android or iOS. So those who are running it, running it because they want the Windows experience, which means they already know about the Insider program, which means they already know how to get Windows 10 Mobile, or they bought a Windows phone because they thought it was a safe, secure bet for just a stable phone, probably very inexpensively too, and they just don't really care. So there's some people out there going, oh my God, Microsoft dropped the ball on this. I don't don't really think this is dropping the ball compared to some of the other things they have done. The the sleep bug on the Pro 4 and the Service Book, that's dropping the ball. This delay, not so much. I, I really don't think so much on this one. And speaking of Windows Phone, a new build came out. Now I'm gonna be curious to see how Microsoft does this going forward. So technically this is a new, I mean, build per se, but it's actually 10586.36. So it's a sub-build of a, what we consider generally, you know, we being that the bloggers and the outsiders and the users, a new build. This is much more of a patch is what this is. It's not a complete rebuild per se from what we're traditionally used to experiencing where the build number changes. Um, the first five digits of the build number changes should qualify that. So this update came out, Microsoft made a big deal about it, but it's really, in my opinion, it's just a patch for Windows Phone now the annoying thing about this is that it installs like a new build like you go through the entire process again and i'm hoping that's not what we're going to see here i'm hoping that they can actually just patch it like any other windows product where it's just a simple patch oh god i hope there's not a restart involved but right now this patch or this update really just kind of i mean you had to go through the entire process again which was kind of frustrating so There's that. The new Windows 10 mobile build is that. You shouldn't have any issues running it. Like I said, if you're on a Windows Phone 8 device right now and you want to try it, as long as it's a Lumia, um, I feel pretty comfortable saying, you know what? Download, install this build. It's pretty good. You're stable. You shouldn't have any major issues. Get your Windows 10 mobile today and not worry about when the update, you know, the the RTM um, terminology, whatever you want to call it, actually arrives. So what else happened this week? Actually, just yesterday, Microsoft pushed out an update, uh, a firmware update for the SP4, the Service Pro 4, and the book. Unfortunately, it's not the update. It's not the update you have been waiting for. Um, This update really, on both devices, addresses keyboard and trackpad issues. Really just kind of improving experience. You can go out, download them now. Nothing life-changing. The biggest change we're all waiting for is that sleep fix. Don't want to keep rehashing on this, but, That's what we're waiting for. This is not that release. There's been a lot of updates this week, actually, you guys. Microsoft pushed out Windows, the first Redstone build of Windows 10. Now, there's a qualifier in this one as well. Microsoft primarily just said, hey, this is just kind of a minor update based on feedback from November. Don't expect any new features. And that's really all that it is. I download it, install it on just about every machine that I have. It's good. It's stable. It's just like the November update, and really nothing else has changed, and that's to be expected. Some of the bigger changes, which we'll talk about here, because one of them is coming to OneDrive, uh, will not start showing up until next year. They won't show up, and I wouldn't even don't even start thinking in January. Maybe in January we'll see the beginning iterations, but it's gonna be it's gonna be later into the the winter season or the Q1 that we'll probably start to see new features showing up in abundance um, that I'm expecting for Redstone. So it's going to be small and iterative, but here we go. We got a new build. And this new build, uh, Gabe announced two things really essentially in here. One, he said, don't expect any more builds until January because Microsoft, well, like everybody else in this time of the year is taking vacation, especially starting the next week because Christmas is on Friday. I would imagine most people are taking the week off so and potentially very likely the next following week uh, because of new year's so no new builds nothing he's not going to press the button i did offer to babysit the button for him but he politely declined so no new builds next week the bigger thing and i've got an interesting theory about this uh, microsoft is going to start pushing windows 10 builds faster to insiders and now i believe this is the third time that they have said this and the gabe's um, and he did make this clear, technically they did speed up. Now, it's not really the pace that many people were kind of expecting or hoping at the time, but I really do think, and I've got some good reasons for this, that this like speed up in the cadence is really going to materialize into something much quicker than what I'd seen in the past. So here's my theory on this, and I think it's pretty sound. So, bear with me here as I walk through this. Microsoft has had some issues, and I've written about them, where the quality of their software is not what they expected, or what the consumer expected, right? We have some bugs. We have Look at the Surface Book. You have some sleep issues there. You had the driver crashing. You had Windows 10. The lock screen for me still isn't always full screen. You can see behind it. Um, just some, some bugginess in the software. Now, granted, it's gotten a lot better, but they're gonna be releasing updates very, very quickly, uh, twice a year, which is very quick by Microsoft standards, and really anybody's standards in the industry. And so they need better testing. Well, Microsoft has moved to a test-driven design, which means the person coding it should also be the one testing it. And they made some changes. And it's working out, but it's not really working out so great. So here's my theory on this. They look at their Windows insiders. And what Gabe said is that they're going to make the qualifications for a build that go out to insiders much closer to that than an internal ring, which means you know their internal canary testing. So what the result is this is going to be is that the bugs the builds that come out are going to be buggier they're going to be less stable but they're going to be faster that's the trade-off if you want faster you're going to get buggier well what microsoft is really doing in my opinion here is they're going to push out more buggier builds to more users so they get better telemetry so they can fix the bugs bugs faster and give us a more stable release i really think this makes a lot of sense they got rid of a lot of their testing procedures uh, when, they, when they laid some people off. So, what are they gonna do? They're gonna use the insiders. They can push out a build with the qualifications that it's gonna be buggy. So, if you're not okay with bugginess, move to the slow ring now. But then they're gonna get feedback from potentially millions of people very, very quickly. So, why even test? Why even go through all these testing scenarios? I mean, they can get some of the big ones, like if it's going to you know, format C colon, or it's not going to boot, they can get those things out of the way through the internal testing rings. But hey, let's leverage the insider program, let them push the bugs back to us, we can focus more on coding, less on bug hunting, and it solves a lot of problems. Insiders get their builds faster, they can deal with the bugs, That's that's their choice, Microsoft gets significantly more telemetry about the bugs in the release and the configurations that they're impacting. They can focus more time on coding. Insiders are happy. Microsoft is happy. Now, the big trade-off here is the feature announcements. So one of the things Microsoft likes to do is try to keep features under wraps and have a big show and say, hey, here's all the great stuff with Windows 10. So one of the problems is that they're gonna to have to make a conscious decision about what features they're just gonna start allowed to being tested, and what features they're gonna hold back and try to wow the audience at, at say, Bill. So that's kind of the trade-off that they have to juggle here is they won't be able to be as secretive about their upcoming features, but does that really matter? Let's just take a step back here. Does it really matter if their features are known to the insiders? No, it, it doesn't. Let's think about this. Microsoft owns the vast majority of the desktop market share. If if Apple finds out, we'll just use, we'll, we'll go way back. If Apple finds out they're bringing Cortana to the desktop, does that really change anything? Apple can put Siri on their desktop and Microsoft will still own over 95% of the desktop market share. What does it matter? They, they are the juggernaut in the desktop market share. Their features cannot be ripped by Chrome OS and that's gonna make Chrome OS the next killer feature iOS, or I should say OSX, can't rip a Windows feature and become the next killer desktop operating system. It doesn't really matter at this point. Microsoft has already won the desktop war. It's over. they won. Linux is the next, we'll just say 2016 is the year of Linux, just like they say every year. And it doesn't make a difference. Microsoft is so far ahead in this arena that it does not matter if you know the features that are coming. A competitor can't rip them and replace the Windows desktop. So I think they're finally coming to this realization. They're going to push out the features faster. We're going to get more builds, and it's going to be good for everybody. With the caveat, because I, I guarantee I I'll be the one complaining too, you have to be careful with the build you install on a production machine because they are going to be buggier. I'm saying that now, they will be buggier. So keep that in mind if you're in the fast ring. My personal suggestion, this machine I'm on right now is my production machine. I'm going to put it in the slow ring. The Surface Book you see behind me back here, that's going to go in the fast ring. That way, I have a test machine, and then I also have my production machine. So when they say bugs, I've I've heard some feedback. There's going to be bugs, so just be aware of what's going to come down the pipe if you're using your machine to essentially pay your mortgage. So that is my thoughts about why they're now moving to this. Why they didn't do it earlier, maybe they won't, I don't really have a good reason. I can understand maybe why they didn't do it before RTM. I don't know. Um, The other thing is too, this creates more overhead for Microsoft too. Don't forget that, that for them to push out a build, which means they have to kind of open up on the back end, the telemetry paths, and there is some overhead, but it's not too extensive because they can essentially treat it like another internal ring. So there we go. That is my theory about why they are moving to this, how they are going to squash bugs faster, and how they're actually going to continue to develop at a rapid pace. So. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if it works. Cool? Cool. All right, let's move on here. So Office will work on Continuum. So, okay, Um, an interesting kind of loophole came up with the idea of Office 365, mobile apps, and Continuum. The idea was, and I, got this tweeted to me a couple times through direct messages saying, hey, Brad, can you use Continuum to work around the limitation with Office 365 on devices that have a screen larger than, I think it's what, nine inches. I think if it's over 10 inches, then you must have a subscription. And at, at first, yeah, it looked like you could. You could plug your phone in, use it on a screen, and the mobile apps would work just like they would on a large device, and you didn't have to pay for an Office 365 subscription. Well, Microsoft came out and killed that. Um, starting March, what is it? March 31st, 2016, using mobile apps with Continuum, the Office mobile apps will require an Office 365 subscription. This isn't too surprising because the screen size is larger, and so they want you to have the, the Office package. Granted, Office 365 is not all that expensive. Look on Amazon. I've seen it as cheap as $40 a year. And for what you get, um, the OneDrive storage alone is... Is, it's worth the price. So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, it also makes me really wonder what's going to happen on April 1st or, or following after because March 31st is kind of a random date. Now it is the end of Q1 and maybe that's their thought process and I'm just completely blowing this out of the water. But let's be honest here. not The Lumia 950 is not going to be selling in the hundreds of millions. Um, I would be hesitant to say it's going to even sell in the tens of millions but microsoft keeps this surface phone rumor keeps coming up and it's it's you can't ignore it and i'm just curious if they're thinking that phone is going to sell in some significant volume and potentially maybe it arrives after march 31st and that's kind of their thought logic i might be reading into this uh quite a bit here but march 31st just kind of seemed like a random day to be selected uh to say, hey, now you need an Office 365 subscription. So maybe they have something up their sleeve that's right around the time of build, a couple weeks early for build. So I don't know. We'll see if March 31st, 2016 offers really any sort of hints or surprises. Moving on to more productivity stuff, because I know that's the best part of your day. Um, and This isn't for the bad side, actually. So Azure, Office 365, in what Microsoft defines as West Europe is kind of going through an up and down outage. Um, as I checked right before the show started, uh, still ongoing, people are having access, let's see, it's says hundreds of customers are being impacted, people are having issues logging into email or Azure hosted websites. Um, so if you're in Western Europe and you can't get into your Office 365 account, or you're having issues with your off- Azure web apps, there you go. There's uh, some little choppy waters going on right now. And Microsoft has had a kind of a rough time in this area lately. They had an outage earlier this month. And I know there's some people at Microsoft listening saying, God, Brad, you have no idea how hard it is to actually run this stuff. I, no, I have a vague idea. Vague is probably even bad. I mean, I've, I've worked in this sector for a while. Um, and I know it's it's somebody described it as dark magic that makes everything work. But if you're convincing people to move their entire product and their platform and their applications to the cloud, you need better than 99% uptime, you need 99.9% uptime. And I don't think Azure is actually hitting that right now. Um, When you look at the comparative outages across the globe as a holistic product. But it's going on, Microsoft is on top of it. Uh, Speaking of things that were down, Xbox Live was also down last night, sure. Um, I generally game at night after the kid goes to bed. And it's a little frustrating when you can't get on, but there you go um speaking of xbox live and outages some dumb hacker group if you remember anonymous i think it was last year maybe it was the year before gosh i can't even remember time's going by so quickly if you remember that group took down xbox live and i believe playstation network on christmas day there's another group saying they're going to do the same things because they just are lumps of coal and they enjoy ruining the holidays for other people. I'm assuming because they're basement dweller neckbeards that have nothing better to do other than stroke their cats and take down Xbox Live for millions of kids who are getting new games and just want to play. And of course Microsoft will face the backlash of this because their service is offline and then some poor sap is gonna have to work extra overtime and come in and make sure and try to figure out why the service is down and block the DNS. It's really just a horrible thing to do. So, there you go. Somebody's threatening to take down Xbox Live on Christmas Day. I hope they personally don't, but I don't really have control over those types of things. And I want to hit on something else, Uh, switching gears here, going back to the good side of the world of Microsoft. Um, The App Store is, I'm going to call it coming back to life. So uh, maybe even starting life, maybe starting over. Maybe it's hit puberty and now we're starting to see the resurgence of the app store and I wrote about this earlier this week and it did really well Um, people generally agree there are a couple of people who saying, no this isn't anything this is just a small blip Um, I really do disagree and I don't I haven't been a big supporter of the app store for quite a while but I do find myself going in there more often just to see what's new and because there's some big freaking names come into the app store or they're already there so let's just run through Uber Right, TripAdvisor, Wall Street Breaking News put out a universal app, Netflix, and Facebook is working on a beta. And let's not forget Twitter, who um, I'm a big user of Twitter. Uh, yeah, Twitter's been updating their app. They never did this on the mobile side. I'm, I'm purely talking about the desktop store. Those are some really big names, and that's what Microsoft needs. They don't need. I mean, granted, I like the independent developers. I, I support them, and I try to buy their apps when I need to. But what Microsoft needs are the big brands coming that are going to bring more eyeballs. And Microsoft actually announced this week that they've had 2.5 billion visits to the App Store since Windows 10 launched. So there's a lot of momentum in the Windows Store. And I realistically think we are starting to see the Windows Store come into its own, mostly because Microsoft now has, um, don't quote me on this, I believe it's around 150 million devices running that. I'm still trying to get that number. And speaking of getting that number is much more complicated these days because you have things like the xbox you have things like the phone um, that actually give you that number but they've got a lot of devices running this stuff they've got a lot of impressions and developers are finally starting to to come to the store um, with some big brand names i'll be curious to see if we ever see anything from instagram they've been kind of a cold shorter to the Windows Store. Don't expect Snapchat anytime soon. Snapchat will never come to the desktop that completely erodes the point of Snapchat. So it would be only mobile and mobile still um, not not a good experience for developers. There's just not enough user base. But the desktop, it's starting to come around. I, I, I find it hard to argue that it's not. So I'll be curious to see if this momentum continues. I honestly hope that it really does because this is good for everybody. This is good for everybody. It's good for developers. It gives them a new platform. Um, it gives uh, companies new paths for revenue. They can charge money for these apps. Um, it's it's a new playground, right? And it's getting, it's getting very, very large. And not to mention Microsoft needs this as well because Windows 10 for most users so far, I'm not gonna say every user because if you bought a machine that has Windows 10 on it from an OEM, you paid a license fee in the purchase price. But for anybody who upgraded, Microsoft didn't get any revenue unless, unless they buy an app because then Microsoft splits the revenue. It's another way for them to monetize the Windows platform. So this is a really good thing for Microsoft. It's a really good thing for developers and it's a good thing for consumers. Options are a good thing. So let's get to the scoop du jour, shall we? So OneDrive, I'm a huge OneDrive user. And before we go all the way into the scoop, I want to talk about OneDrive, because the scoop involves OneDrive. So this week, Microsoft announced with OneDrive that business users can now get unlimited storage. If this sounds familiar, it should, because Microsoft initially offered unlimited storage to Office 365 users of across the board, and then they and then they pulled that offer back. And <laughs> that caused a cr- big promotion. And then they issued an apology and said, hey, you, now you can get 15 gigs of again if you click this link. So it's a big cluster. But anyways, for certain users of Office 365 Enterprise, and you can check out the posters up on Petri, they will now get unlimited OneDrive storage. It's on their premium SKUs. And how they're doing it this time around is that they are giving five terabytes to all users. If you need more than that, then you actually have to contact Microsoft, and then they will up your account. Now, in theory, there is no limit on this account on a per-user basis, per-user being um, the key here. It not an; it is organization-wide, but each user will upgrade it independently. Um, which makes me wonder that if you have one user who's getting like way up there, if they're actually going to start calling them out and then saying, hey, you've got too much storage, and then we see the limitation of the OneDrive kind of policy. But anyways, they're announcing unlimited OneDrive for business users of Office 365 of certain SKUs. So what is the scoop? Um, Placeholders. Placeholders are coming back to OneDrive. They're coming back to Windows 10. Specifically, it is a targeted feature for Redstone, which is on schedule for a June-ish release, at least that is the target. So if you're not familiar with placeholders, what placeholders are is a feature that allows you to have a placeholder image on your fi- on your desktop or on your, your, your hard drive, and it allows you to see the file that is stored in the cloud, but not pay the penalty of storing that content locally. For example, I have about 90,000 photos stored in OneDrive. I don't want to store them all on my Surface Pro 4. I really don't. But what I would like to be able to do is pull those features, pictures as needed. So what the placeholder does is I can go navigate and go through all those folders and double click and it'll download and then I have the placeholder or I have the file locally. Now the reason why I was told that Microsoft got rid of the placeholders before is that it created a really bad user experience for somebody who didn't understand the feature. For example, if placeholders and you go offline, you're off the web, you cannot get the feature, you cannot get the files. So, I actually need to post this up on Throt. Da, da, da. Um Yeah, sorry, I was just posting up actually the post that says placeholders are coming with Redstone. Um, the reason why it was a bad experience is that the uneducated user would go offline and then not be able to get their content. Then they would blame Microsoft for this stuff. And that was the issue and so they got rid of it. What I'm hoping that they do, what I, re- I realistically hope that they do, and if you're listening, I, I think you might be, um, is make it an optional feature. Make it turned off by default, allow the power users to go in and turn on placeholders as needed, and then that solves the issue. They should never have killed it in the first place, but I'm being told by a very reliable source that placeholders are on the agenda. Now, the caveat with this is we are in December. This product is not expected to launch until roughly June-ish late spring is what I've been told a lot of things change one deadlines change features get cut and all the good stuff so I can tell you right now that they are working on this feature whether or not it makes it into production is a whole different ball game but placeholders are on the agenda for Redstone I myself am ecstatic about this I know Paul is very highly enthused by this and it will genuinely be a good thing. Wow. OneDrive, placeholders, I'm excited. So, there we go, guys. It's been another crazy week. I wanna run through the comments here. Uh, If anybody has any questions, now is a fantastic time to ask. And I know there's a bit of lag. Um, People keep asking why we have to wait till June. So, here's another theory. Um, I wanna extrapolate upon this while I'm waiting to see if anybody else has any comments, is that Microsoft wants to actually ship before June. They want to ship this thing, uh, Redstone, as quickly as possible once it's done, right? But they need feedback, they need data collection, they need all that good stuff. And that's part of, um, (laughs) I want to get to, that's all part of the process. And they might actually be able to ship quicker by doing this new fast delivery But um, we'll see, we'll see if this new, new fast ring will actually improve the development process like the company hopes, and actually allows them to ship the product faster and what I would consider on time. So somebody asked, they said, are there any apps that you expect Microsoft to buy? So somebody brought up something really interesting that I thought is getting back to a browser on iOS. So there's a problem with this and we all know the problem. The problem is that Microsoft does not build a WebKit based browser. They don't, they, they just, they don't and I don't foresee that they will. What would make sense is that if they just bought a browser that's on iOS and Android and just rebranded it to Edge, much like they did with Accompli. That's the only strategy that I ever foresee making sense. and it, fills the hole that microsoft has right they they're using cortana which is now on everything they now have an email client that is on everything but they don't have a browser that's on everything so i'll be curious to see if they actually do this and the the big benefit of it would be is that then everything you use on edge would sync to this client such as your history your contacts and all that stuff because right now it's not possible with the built-in safari or um, i don't think it's possible at all on android on any on any um, browser. So it would be kind of weird, as the comments point out, um, if Microsoft did buy a WebKit-based browser, but that's their only option. And I honestly can foresee it happening because it's a productivity play. It gives them that broader experience. I think they can do it relatively cheap. But other than that, I'm trying to think of the apps that I use. Um, They've got email, they've got everything else under productivity. The one thing that I could potentially see Microsoft, and I'm, I'm sure that they have talked about this internally, I'm, I'm almost positive they had, is Slack. Slack has become the new communication tool of preference for hip young startups. Um, everybody uses, I shouldn't say everybody, quite a few people use Slack. Now yes, it does overlap with Yammer, but this is, Slack is right in the wheelhouse of what Microsoft does. So I would be curious to see if Microsoft would actually go after Slack. Now the problem I think they're going to have is one, everybody's probably talking to Slack, saying, hey, can we buy this? Because they're growing like crazy. So one, it's going to be finding the right amount. Two, does Slack even want to sell? Um, I think they have a pretty good business model going on. But Slack could be a, a targeted acquisition for the company. I'll be surprised to see if they actually do. Mostly because selling to Microsoft, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about if Slack would actually sell. That's the thing, right? If you put enough zeros on the paycheck, um, it will work. But Slack has really kind of taken over the market for real-time, quick communication. It's a threat to email, especially among millennials and the younger demographic. So there you go. Maybe Slack. And I think that's about it, guys. I don't want to. I don't like to drag these things on. I love doing this show, but I also like to keep it tight and condensed because that's what people have come to expect. And that, I get a lot of good feedback saying, hey, you know what, you keep the show 30 to 40 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour, roughly. Some of the longer ones have gone closer to an hour, but I don't like to ban- banter. So on that note, I hope that everybody has a fantastic Christmas or holiday or whatever you celebrate or nothing, if, if that's your bag of tea. But I hope that everybody has a good holiday season. Stay safe, I am off next week, and I will return actually right before CES. Thanks for watching, everybody. Keep it classy.